smell of rain in the summer always takes me back When my grandfather take me to the railroad tracks Telling stories, hopping freight trains and going west They tell me their stories when I was down About rambling through some dusty town And laying in the big old tree by the river's edge Telling stories when he was a kid Rain was the only thing that he hid from Still see him smiling at those old days Telling me stories as the train rolled by Final click of the track, we'd wave goodbye Stop and listen to the whistle as it rolls away Well, the summer's passed like the click of the track Grandpa took a train that ain't coming back Still see him lying by the river's edge. Now every time I see a freight, I expect to see him sitting in a boxcar with a Cheshire cat grin, living out new stories. Big thanks to the Tompkins Square record label and the man behind the voice you heard in that song, telling stories from his new Highways and Heart Attacks record. It's singer-songwriter and hazmat pressurized tank hauler Will Beely. Today of New Mexico and with roots in Texas. She sings about in that track in part about the generations that preceded him. Beely's story in music reaches back to his youth in the late 1960s, runs through an iconic record label in Jackson, Mississippi, and extends on up into the present day with his new record following 40 years after his last called Passing Dream, in which Nashville-based music writer Ed Hurt views as an overlooked classic in the American songbook. With a new album, Tompkins Square re-released both Passing Dream and Beely's first record, Gallivantin' 2. And on the Overdrive Radio podcast today, we'll take you through parts of Ed Hertz and my own interviews with Beely, attended to a special treat in the day-to-day of this trucking business writer back in September. Beely was in Nashville, where regular listeners know I'm based, and happened to be performing attendant to uh, the Americana Fest here, just two miles from my house at Grimey's record shop on Trinity Lane, built into an old church building there. Here's Ed Hurt setting up the talk with Beely. Glad to see some familiar faces and uh, some Americanaites, I think, here at the show today. Um, enjoying the uh, seasonal weather of Nashville uh, in September, so kind of hot, so that's good. Uh, induces the creativity of Nashville, you know. And, all that. So um, anyway, I'm really glad to be here today at Grimey's and I want to thank Doyle, Anna, Jacob, Josh, everyone at Grimey's for having me here today to talk to the man that I'm sitting next to here, Will Beely. And uh, this is uh, truly one of the coolest things that I've ever done as a writer and a music fan in Nashville. Um, and I don't do these kind of things very often. So uh, that should tell you how much I think of Will Beely's music and uh, what a great impression it's made on me. So what I want to do for just a couple of minutes um, is kind of give you a little overview of, um, of Will's music and how I came to hear it. And then we're going to sit down and uh, talk a little bit, right, Will? Yes, sir. And he's going to play some songs on his guild. And uh, I think it's going to be great. So. Um, so I first heard Will's records about two years ago from uh, a guy named Josh Rosenthal, who runs a great record label called Tompkins Square. And uh, 
He sent me uh, two albums that Will Beely did in the 1970s that I had never heard of, um, didn't know anything about them. And um, so one day I put the records on and uh, immediately realized that I was kind of in the presence of, of greatness with both of these records. Um, the first one is called Gallivanting, which Will cut in San Antonio in 1970, and it came out in 1971. Uh, and it's, it's a private press record of about 200 copies. Um, and um, it's a classic singer-songwriter record in the sense that it's Will and his guitar and his vocals and nothing else. And um, it's... Um, you know, kind of in the vein of uh, Guy Clark or Towns Van Zandt, Mickey Newberry, uh, Fred Neal, and these are all songwriters uh, that Will Beely has been really influenced by. And so it's a great example of that kind of music. And there's also a great cover of uh, a Bob Dylan song, two Buffy St. Marie songs are on the record. Uh, so it's just a superb piece of work. Um, the second album Will Beely did was recorded in Jackson, Mississippi uh, for Malico Records in the 1970s. It came out in uh, 1979. And uh, it's very different from, in some ways, very different from Gallivanting in the sense that it's uh, a full band record featuring some of the great Southern soul musicians uh, who were around in Jackson, Mississippi back then, people like Carson Whitsett, James Stroud, uh, Mike Leach, who worked with the Box Tops and Dusty Springfield and many others in uh, Memphis and in Nashville. And uh, it's a masterpiece of a record. It's a record that I've listened to hundreds of times. Uh, it's very addictive and it's kind of like if Don Williams and Bob Dylan and Guy Clark and Dan Penn got in a room and made a record together, this would be the record. It's just a very, very sophisticated piece of work that is very original. The songwriting goes places that you really don't expect it to go, uh, lyrically and uh, musically. So it's the work of someone who's really trying to make his own statement and to do something that's very original and uh, just very good. Um, and it's interesting just to pause and, and note that this was done for Malico Records. And if you don't know, some of you I'm sure know that are soul fans like me know about Malico Records, but it's one of the great Southern soul record labels and kind of the successor uh, to Stax Records, which had folded in Memphis in the mid 70s. And so, Malico was where people like Johnny Taylor, Bobby Bland, uh, Lattimore, Eddie Floyd, and many others went to record after Stax folded. So it's really known as an R&B label, but in Will's case, uh, Malico wanted to enter the rock market. So they started an, uh, an imprint called Southern Biscuit Records, which Will's second album, Passing Dream, came out on in 1979. And uh, so it's, it's kind of got the flavor of soul music and R&B and singer-songwriter music. Very, very unusual combination, and it works just great. Um, so that was really interesting to me to see someone who had come along and kind of, you know, almost subverted the singer-songwriter way of thinking to make this great record. Um,
Will also did some singles uh, in the 70s. There's, uh, there's other material out there that he cut at Malico from around, what, 1971 to about 77? Uh, 74. 74? Yeah. yeah. And Passing Dream was cut in 77? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, and then Will at one point quit the business and became what he is today, which is a long-haul truck driver. He hauls uh, cryonics, which are liquid hydrogen, liquid helium, and so forth, all over the country with his wife, and he's been doing that for years and still does it. And uh, his new record, also on Tompkins Square, is kind of a return to passing dream, and it's called Highways and Heart Attacks, and it's also a great record. Um, Another great example of someone taking the singer-songwriter uh, way of thinking and kind of turning it on its head and doing something very original. So it's really great to, to be here with Will and to see someone who I really think is one of the great songwriters of our time to finally get its due and to make a new record. So um, thanks for having us and now we're going to sit down and do a little Q&A. Let's give a hand for Will Beeley, please. KTSA down in San Antonio, uh, and uh, Ron Houston and uh, Johnny O'Neill were the were the two jocks on the air. And this is give me an idea how long ago this was. This is back before there was a lot of well, you can't play this uh, in uh, radio, and so they would just throw it on every once in a while, just you know, kind of break things up because it was just me and my guitar up against regular radio, regular music. And uh, Johnny was convinced that he could find me a record deal. And uh, I was looked at by Electra. Uh, they, they flew me to Memphis and down to Muscle Shoals. And uh, uh, they said, yeah, we'd like to do something. It's going to be a year. And so uh, Johnny said, no, we want a deal now. And so to make a long story monotonous, after being shopped around to RCA and, and Electra, and, and I made some great trips, had a lot of fun that summer. Um, wound up at Malico by way of Wayne Schuler, who was a producer. He did um, uh, Bob Seger's first album. He did Billy Preston's album with um, George Harrison, that's the way God planned it. And uh, he had just done a project for Capitol, uh, a Mississippi Fred McDowell record called I Don't, I don't Do No Rock and Roll or I Don't Play No Rock and Roll. Incredible album. If you don't have it, it's, it's worth the money. And uh, so he said, 
I'm going to pitch this to uh, Malico. They they liked what they heard. I also did a, uh, a another session, which was like a follow-up to Gallivanting, uh, better tunes, and I had a buddy of mine. We were doing a duo thing, and so it was it was a little more. Uh, commercially viable, I guess, than what uh, Gallivant was. And anyway, Malika loved it, and um, we wound up cutting uh, four, they, they signed me as a, as a writer and an artist, and then uh, we wound up doing four songs from that session, and things just kind of sat, and we, <laughs> they hadn't run the contract, so I had to come back every year to, to, do, uh, to do session work. And in 74, uh, they released uh, a single on me, Jamestown Ferry and, and Rainbow Highway, and it was getting spotty airplay in the Deep South and Texas, and it, it got me a lot of gigs. I was, I was staying busy, but I couldn't write. I wasn't, I was just a kid. I was 24, 23, 24 years old, and I wasn't very disciplined back in those days. And, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't write like I had been writing. And so when I'd go down to, to cut, they'd hand me these cover tunes uh, to do, which was fine, you know, but I, I didn't feel like I was a cover song artist. And so um, uh, I asked if I could get out of my contract so I could start writing again. And they said, so long as you give us first refusal on anything new that you do, and I said, okay. And um, so, for the, those of you that don't know what first refusal is, that's where you come back and you pitch your new material and they go, we don't like it. So they were the first ones to say, we hate it. That's fine. <laughs> so, uh, and they said, man, we like this. And I said, well, I'd really like to get a little more uh, creativeness in the studio and because in, in 71 and 73 those sessions had string beds on them and, and that was the that was the thing back in those days strings listen to anything from that time frame and and they sound good but they're laced with all these strings and uh, that's where I met Mike Leach and uh, uh, Glenn Springs uh, did the strings on the, on the 71 sessions. So I, I've been fortunate to where I've, I've always been around extremely good people in the, in the studio and, and extremely good musicians. And uh, with the new album, the same thing. Um, and it, I went back, we uh, went in the studio, we, we did Passing Dream in a week. It was done uh, uh, the week of the 4th of July. Uh, flew in on a Sunday and we started Monday morning at uh, about 11 o'clock, everybody got to the studio about 11 and we drank a Coke and we had the breeze and tuned up guitars and went in and ran through a song and most of Passing Dream was a, was a first and second take. There may have been one or two songs that were third takes, 
but it, and it was done live. I mean, it was it was done live. There was very little overdubbing. The overdubbing was done with the steel guitar, which I didn't realize until Josh pointed it out to me, was Larry Campbell of uh, Bob Dylan fame and uh, uh, Levon Helm, and, and he's doing his, his thing now with his wife. Um, and um, and uh, fiddle, a little bit of fiddle in there. So it was, it was something that I could do live. I, I, I've always been one of these kind of people that when I go to a show, I want to hear, I don't want to hear a variation of what is on the album. Uh, there's very few people that, that can improvise like that, I think. And I want to hear it the way that it was recorded. Uh, and it was, uh, it was real easy to do that with that kind of a deal, with that kind of an arrangement. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And we, you know, changed it, counted down, and we did it. And it was, it was, it was, it was a good thing. And it uh, came out two years later in '79, and, and uh, I think two people heard it. And uh, my wife was pregnant with uh, our second child in late '80, uh, going into '81, and. Uh, I was trying to get a real job, so I had to, I, I left the music business to, to get a real job. I did, I booked talent uh, for two rather large nightclubs. We did uh, uh, people like, well, the club that opened up in Albuquerque, we opened up with Willie Nelson. And um, we did 37, 38 shows a year. Uh, was almost one a week, and it was how we had all of uh, all the new acts when they were brand new in uh, in the early '90s. Like Tim McGraw, we had him twice, and Mary Chapin Carpenter, and Mark Chestnut, and on and on and on. And it was it was a great deal. And we also had people like Amy Lou Harris and uh, Charlie Daniels and Waylon and uh, Jesse, and uh, it was it was it was a good gig. Then I turned 50, and the day after I turned 50, it was, gee, what do you think, you still got the fire in the belly? And I said, well, I had enchiladas for lunch, what are you talking about? And uh, it was, uh, uh, do, you, do you think you still have a handle on the music business? What, did, what you, and I said, man, it's country music. I mean, it's, half the people we've had in here in the last six months are older than me, Charlie Daniels. <laughs> I just went through this laundry list. Anyway, they, they uh, did me a favor. I, I got a real, real job and uh, started driving a truck and have enjoyed the hell out of it. It's a great way to make a living if you're looking for something to do. Um, yeah, it's a good way to make a living. You know, all cryogenics and uh, hazmat's a good thing because it pays well. And it's, uh, I got your letter Friday. Now, it's, it's a real job. But, um, it sure was good to be in my hands again. Why do these things happen, Lord? Only for the movies. Some sad string section plays a heartbroken song.
know how trite this seems to you But I got a bad case of the blues And life is so damn empty When I don't have you Been looking at your picture One I took in the country The one where you were standing by That old black dodge Thought about your leaving It's so hard to be believing And somebody had to call to ask uh, Will Bailey, I uh, did an album called Highways and Heart Attacks uh, I um, drive for Keenan Advantage Group Out of uh, Canton, Ohio We haul different types of cryogenics uh, Liquid helium mainly right now it's you and your wife, Vicki, right? Yeah. Vicki and I have been teaming for nine years, still married, uh, which is uh, unusual when you're teaming. But, uh, no, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a good life. We, we do well. And um, you guys live in New Mexico, though. Where uh, is there a particular area of the country where you specialize in terms of um, the trucking that you do? Or Well, we pick up in Kansas. We pick up the helium in Kansas, and we either go... Uh, west to California, uh, Long Beach, or we go east to uh, New Jersey. Sometimes we go down to um, uh, Florida, uh, to Kennedy Space Center. They use liquid helium as a stabilizer and rocket fuel. Uh, it's a pretty interesting job. And you started, I heard, just heard this story from the stage there when you were talking with uh, Ed from uh, the Nashville scene. You were you sort of. You gave us a, a great history of, um, you know, your time in music and and that uh, as a as a songwriter and, and making albums. And then then you spent quite a lot of time um, uh, uh, putting on shows and uh, had a lot of success there. But then you you turned fifty, and fifty was the point where you started trucking, right? Right. Uh, I'd been. Uh, I was a talent buyer for two nightclubs, one in San Antonio and one in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, yeah, we, uh, I did that for 13 years in Albuquerque and uh, was pretty much, uh, the day after I turned 50, pretty much uh, was the end of it. They uh, didn't think I still had the fire in the belly for the job because I was now 50 in a day. And so I uh, was way underemployed and, and looking for a gig and um, went down to San Antonio to pick up a record collection from a, a buddy of mine, about 600 albums. And I was driving back in my little Ranger pickup and, and all these trucks are passing me. And, and I uh, knew some drivers, I have a cousin that was a driver. And so I asked these guys, I said, you know, uh, what's it, what does it take to... Um, be a truck driver and I said if you can pass the DOT physical uh, you got a job and I was really kind of surprised at that and so I went to school and um, uh, had four job offers before I got out of school before I graduated and uh, went to work for Werner for three years and uh, good company just too big it's a good company, though. Uh, and I, I was told by the lady that had the 
the um, truck driving school, she said, um, the first year you're learning about the job, and the second year you realize what you learned the first year, and the third year you're looking for something better. And so that was pretty much what I did. And uh, uh, I went to work for Jack B. Kelly out of Amarillo, and they eventually got uh, bought by Keenan. And, uh, well, it was eight years ago, I guess. Because my wife had just come to work for them, for uh, Kelly. We just started teaming together when we, when we were bought out. Okay. And so all this this turn to trucking happened somewhere in the 90s? Am I right on that? It was, uh, well, 17 years ago. Uh, it would be around 2002. Okay, okay, okay. You hear, you hear, you hear a little bit of... Uh, the trucking influence on the record, I think. And uh, after having just heard you sort of detail some of the songs on the new one, um, I was a, I was a little bit surprised uh, to hear that that Ben a Drifter song um, is uh, is a song that you wrote back in the '80s, right before yeah. before this uh, before this trucking thing yeah, ever long happened for you. Yeah, before the truck driving. <laughs> long before the truck driving. Uh, well, uh, a buddy of mine that I uh, knew we uh, I'd known him for a year or so and asked him one day I said, hey, how you doing oh, I got to work it's my birthday I got to work I said it's my birthday too and we became just I'd only met three people born on my birthday right. and so uh, we just became really close friends at that point but Bob used to um, uh, be an extra in movies back in the 50s worked with um, Oh, John Wayne on the Alamo. He was in the Alamo and and uh, El Dorado and a lot of that old those old westerns from the fifties. And so we had this comparing notes kind of thing of you know uh, who's had the harder life. You know? <laughs> so we both decided we both graduated from the school of hard knocks and uh, uh, and so that's that's how the song came out. I've been a drifter. I've been a hobo, a car salesman. I've been cold on a time or two It's cold, I can't remember when There's more than just a homesick Gnawing at my soul Guess I just pull my collar up And head off into the wind I can't remember Ever being this cold I've been a drifter I've been a hobo Salesman and a track. I've been up on Nile Hill and I've been flat on my back. I've been hungry and tired and colder than January. Surprises me from time to time and I haven't been buried. I'm going to head up to the depot, catch the first thing smoke. That feels like uh, it's definitely in the vein of sort of like. Uh, kind of traveling traveling music sort of uh, th- the themes of it anyway and, um, but that was part of the that's part of the five songs on this record that you said basically were originally written as a follow-up to the previous record which came out in 1979 right. uh, called Passing Dream um, the other five uh, or, or there's more than there's more than five other tracks on there right uh, well, it's it's uh, it's ten tracks. There's eleven songs, yeah. but there's ten tracks. Right, right. 
um, the other ones were they all written uh, in in recent um, the recent decades? Well, I was um, what got me out of the music business. What got me out of performing and writing uh, in the eighties was I was under contract as a uh, songwriter, and when the publishing company called me before they were to pick up my next option the next year, said having a hard time placing your tunes and it's nothing personal we just can't we just can't do anything and i said it's business i understand you know and the guy that owned the publishing company he and i uh good friends uh at least we were at that time james stroud he had um, he did the uh, uh percussion on passing dream and then went to nashville and became this red hot uh, publisher and uh session man and uh, producer and so I got a hold of him one day and, and said, he may not remember me, but uh, uh, we worked together in, in uh, Jackson and, and I sent him a, a copy of the stuff we had done and, and he said, oh man, I wondered what happened to you. So he signed me pretty quick and uh, I went, finally, you know, something's gonna happen with my songwriting. And it, it didn't, and I was so discouraged, I just, I put my guild in the case and I locked it up and there was probably about, no, I don't know, half a dozen, no, more than half, probably a dozen or more half written songs and ideas and notes and stuff. And it sat for years. I mean, I, I think today is, well, it's only the third time I played in front of anybody other than my grandkids in the last, uh, uh, about, let's see, 35 years or so. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, I, I never felt comfortable doing it when I was doing it for a living. And I, it, uh, it hasn't changed okay. as I've gotten yeah. older. <laughs> well, if, if it's any, um, it sounded great to me. So. <laughs> oh, well, I appreciate that. Thanks. Um, Billy played two tracks in the album that day in Grimey's and uh, Trinity Lane here in Nashville. One was this track, which regular readers might recognize from uh, when I shared it back around the time of the release of Highways and Heart Attacks. It's called, The Homeless Ain't Just Hobos Anymore, and he set it up from the stage. I wrote this, um, my wife used to work in downtown San Antonio, and uh, she worked for Denny's restaurant, and there's uh, Denny's right downtown, uh, just off the freeway and across from the hemisphere grounds and there were people living under this bridge there and um, um, she used to tell me about these people coming in um, not having any any money and, and just wanting milk for for their kids and homelessness is really uh, just an incredibly sad situation, I think. And um, and it isn't just a bunch of old hobos riding in box cars going from one end of the country to the other. They're families. And they're also just regular people, people that uh, uh, by no fault of their own and the luck of the draw wound up losing their house or a job or you know, so many people anymore are like a paycheck away from being homeless, and it's it's kind of frightening. That's uh, that's a reality, and 
it it caused me to start putting a little money away. My uh, uncle said, 10%, put 10% of your paycheck away every month. Don't touch it. Uh, 10%, no, how can I afford to buy cigarettes and beer? And, uh, but uh, anyway, um, this is a song about the homeless. This family on the highway in a car that won't go home. The staggering reality is those kids ain't got a home. And the homeless ain't just hobos anymore. A man and a wife walk hand in hand on some land they call their own. Tomorrow their neighbors buy what's left. It goes to pay the loan. And the homeless ain't just hobos anymore. songs on highways and heart attacks then um even even more than just the five that you wrote as a follow-up to passing dream or intended to be intending to make them a follow-up to passing dream at at that time in the early 80s a lot of those do proceed from those uh, those ideas that you had right. developed back in those oh, early yeah. days yeah there were uh okay. um ideas and music that i was i was writing it was stuff that i thought that I was presenting to to James that he just didn't hear and, and um, a buddy of mine what was weird was um, a buddy of mine who um, my wife and I had this place out in the country about halfway between San Antonio and Bernie and it was an old rock house it would have made a great studio and um, there was only about, about three feet of sheetrock in the entire house and the rest of it was uh, eight to twelve inch thick walls of rock, and uh, uh, anyway, Mike came by one day, and, and I had the reel to reel set up, and I was demoing out some tunes, and he said, "Hey, uh, slap a reel on there one of these days, and just play and see how many." So uh, 
he found that tape a couple of years ago and sent it to me and, and I went, wow, I'd forgotten. Because a lot of those songs, I was so discouraged when James didn't pick up the uh, uh, next year option. Right. I took my notebook and threw it in the fireplace. I'm serious, man. And all these songs, or most of these songs are on that on that tape, uh, were on there. And I, I just got a, a, a clean copy that I recorded off of that uh, using my reel-to-reel -reel that I put on CD. And I went, wow, some of this stuff's not bad, you know? <laughs> yeah. So cool. if I ever get a chance to do another album, there's going to be a lot of that stuff will show up on the next one. But, U.S. 85, man, I, I, I love that, um, that piece. Uh, I love pretty much everything about it. I was wondering, uh, I was wondering if there's a, tell me a story behind uh, where that song came from. Um, we were hauling, my wife and I hauled uh, uh, liquid natural gas, uh, and we picked up in southern Colorado at a plant there, and we either took it south to Phoenix and Tempe, or we went to El Paso. Uh, the transit systems with both those cities use natural gas. And so um, in El Paso, when you get off 10 to go to where and Metro's got their, their setup, well, back in those days, I think it's moved now, um, you take US 85, and it takes you down almost to downtown, which is where they're located. So you got Juarez on one side, which looks like a third world country. It's, I mean, I look at that and I go, no wonder people are crossing the river to get over here because they live in a third world situation. I mean, these, these houses are made out of, oh, just pallets and lumber and something slapped on there that looks like stucco and uh and then you got el paso on this side and so we're driving down and i'm looking at this and 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 the line for the song uh, uh the opening line for the song uh, uh i don't think this is a song i don't think this is a town that marty sang about marty robbins with el paso and uh, and I said it looks more like Tom Thumbs Blues with all the rain on it. El Paso's on the left, Warriors on the right. I'm not sure this is a town that Marty sang about. It's more like Tom Thumbs Blues with all the rain on it. Souls at the mission, and the sign says Jesus lives. Tumbleweeds, forgotten graves, there's not much left to give. Cactus mixed with wooden markers, where someone's loved ones rest. Down at the rescue mission, they're just rescuing what's I, left. I, it took me about four months to write it, but on 85, You've got this mission, 
and all these kind of lost souls are hanging out at this mission. And there's a, I don't know if it's still there because they've done a lot of revamping on that piece of road. Uh, there was a cemetery there that looked like uh, just, I mean, forgotten. If you're if you're buried there, you're pissed off because you're buried there. You know, I mean, it's yeah. just it's just tumbleweeds and, yeah, and, and crosses falling down, and it, it's horrible. And uh, so that's part of the song. Yeah. It's really, the song is very impressionistic, right? Like it's, um, I mean, there's there's sort of a message there, but you're you're really painting a scene, right? Like you're oh, definitely. Trying painting. to take people there. Right. Oh, oh, definitely. And um, and at the end, um, I'm looking across because where we where Sun Metro was located, there was about six railroad tracks, and the river and Juarez. I mean, you could pick up a rock and throw it and hit Juarez. And uh, uh, I'm I'm looking at it one day, and there was this guy looking back at me, and. I'm wondering what's going, what it would be like to be over there. And he was looking at me like, what would it be like to live over there? And that's how the end of the song came about. But it was, it was just uh, one of those things that wrote itself real quick uh, over, well, it wrote itself real quick over time. When I finally got everything in my mind, how I wanted to lay it out, it just went down real quick. But it was, uh, I think it's one of the best songs I've written because it, a doesn't have a chorus. There's no hook. Uh, the only hook is US 85, and uh, so I, I, I'm I'm pretty proud of that one. It ain't Marty's border town. It ain't Bob's Easter's blues. You just try to stay alive. There's nothing left to choose. You keep on driving. Down that highway, down US 85 you Got El Paso on the left And got Warriors on the right Looking across the river Wondering what's on the other side And someone's looking back at me With the same thought in their eyes A lot of things are unparalleled You can only wonder why Down on that highway U.S. 85 Billy and I talked further about the origins of the previous song you heard, The Homeless Ain't Just Hobos Anymore. Any one of us can easily, through no fault of our own, become homeless at the drop of a hat, he said. And his appreciation for the precarious nature of modern life has been underscored by his own experience. I had a heart attack in, in uh, 2017. 
and my wife and I had just paid our house off. We just got out of debt, and I'm laying there, and the doctor says, you know, you're having a heart attack. We can fix you here. This was in uh, uh, Rock Springs, Wyoming. We can fix you here, but you'd be much better off in Salt Lake City at, at the University of, of Utah Medical School. This happened to you while you were on the road. Yeah, we just, uh, I had uh, chest pain uh, that started late Thursday night, and uh, Friday we're on our way down to, uh, to the LA area, and it got worse, and uh, by the time we got back to uh, Rock Springs to drop the empty and to, and to pick up the, uh, uh, the new one, uh, I was, I just, you know, and, and my wife and I are the kind of people, we don't go to the doctor. We, we don't call in sick. You know, I, I think in the 30 some odd years that I've been out of the music business, where that was my living, I think I've I think I've had maybe four sick days, maybe three, yeah. you know. And and my wife, other than when she had pneumonia and wound up in the hospital with pneumonia, has never taken a sick day, you know. And so we get back to Rock Springs, and to pick up our our next load that was going to Cleveland, and um, it wasn't where it was supposed to be. So call my dispatcher and she says, well, uh, run out to the plant. So we run out to the plant and, uh, they, oh, that, that went out yesterday. Well, liquid helium is real expensive. Uh, the, uh, uh, trailer, the, the container is like $950,000. So when you get underneath that, you're getting underneath about $2 million without blinking an eye. And it's probably a little more than that. And uh, we would have gotten under it, taken off and gone to Cleveland. And I probably would have died in Nebraska. I mean, it was that serious. And uh, I, uh, I used to make the joke, well, I've been in Nebraska, but uh, uh, don't want to die there. <laughs> but uh, uh, we went... Uh, so I called my dispatcher and I said, it isn't here either. It, it went out yesterday. And she said, uh, okay, well, uh, run back to Rock Springs and we'll figure out the next step. And I said, well, I'm not feeling well. I think I need to go to one of those walk-in clinics. And so uh, I did, and I walked in this walk-in clinic, and this guy says, did an EKG on me, and he did this, and he did that. He said, well, you're not having a heart attack. And I said, well, that's good news. I, that didn't even occur to me, having a heart attack. Yeah, that was not something on your mind. No, my wife kept saying, it's just indigestion, because it, it was a pain uh, right in the upper part of my chest where your heart is that went through to my back, and the pain went by then, was in my neck going down my arm, and I still didn't snap that it was a heart attack. You know, so, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a classic sign. You know? Right, right. So, like, and uh, so I, he, excuse me, let me go. I get out the truck, and my wife's driving at that point, and I climb up, and I'm sitting in the jump seat, and I said, Vicky, I don't feel good. i got to go back in and find out what's going on. And by then I was kind of huffing and puffing, and, and, and I was, it was almost to my knees hurt. And so uh, he said, well, I'm going to send you up to the emergency room. 
And this doctor looked at me and, and did a EKG on me and, and uh, x-rays. And all this takes about 15 to 20 minutes. And he said, well, Mr. Beely, uh, you're having a heart attack. And he said, we can do this uh, one of two ways. Uh, we can fix you here, send you to Utah. And I just, I, I was laying there and, and thinking, to my, I, I said, well, can my wife drive me? And he said, well, does she know how to do, uh, what is that? Uh, CPR. CPR. And, and I said, no. And he said, well, have you got defibrillator? That's the paddles they put on you? And I said, no. And he said, well, you're not going to make it. And uh, I said, well, how do, how do, I, how do I get there? And he said, well, we're going to fly you, air med. And so uh, these two people that look like they were out of casting from a, a, a TV show, um, this chick and this guy, and I mean, they're real uh, buff. Uh, strong. Uh, yeah, they were like firemen. Uh, they, uh, I, and, and I'm, I'm laying there and I'm thinking to myself, my God, this is going to cost $40,000 just for the airplane flight, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's going to cost how many dollars after that, even going to the University of Utah. So I'm laying there, and I told my wife, I said, my God, we just paid the house off. We're out of debt, and uh, we're going back into debt again. And she said, oh, well, uh, we'll make it. We'll be okay. You know, Put a second on the house, and jeez. Uh, and that's how people become homeless, you know. Medical bills will will kill you as much as anything will. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like you've uh, recovered very well and, uh, yeah. and, and everything's, everything's kosher. Everything's good. I uh, uh, had to go in earlier this year and the Heart Institute in uh, uh, New Mexico, the New Mexico Heart Institute in Albuquerque, uh, ran the stent thing back up and went into my chest and uh, the doctor says i don't know what you're doing but you're doing it right and i said wow cool because I, I, I i'm laying there watching this on tv and this thing's doing this number and uh uh he said um uh, what are you doing that's making this all right i said well i don't exercise Oh, you got to get exercise. I said, well, I'm, I'm pushing 70. And that's about all the exercise I'm getting is pushing 70. He didn't think that was funny. Oh. And uh, so uh, I told him, I said, well, since the heart attack, I said, I got real serious with the doctor. He told me what I could eat and what I couldn't eat. And I said, about 90% of our meals are either turkey, fish, or chicken. And that's it. And um, he said, well, surprisingly enough, um, diet is more important than exercise. So he says, you stay on that. He says, you'll, you'll be okay. So, and I have, I, I got, man, I, I found religion with that. It was a, that was a hell of an experience. Heart attacks aren't fun. There's a family on the highway. And a car that won't go home. Staggering reality, the kids ain't got a home. And the homeless ain't just hobos anymore. 
man and wife that walk hand in hand in some land they've called their home. Tomorrow their neighbors buy what's left. It goes to pay the loan. The whole thing just hobos anymore. There's a mother and kids living under a bridge downtown my hometown. The fear in the eyes of a child at night. Footsteps are coming around And the homeless ain't just hobos anymore While preparations for this album were coming together? Well, or I, before? I just finished the album. Yeah, okay. I, I just finished uh, Highways and Heart Attacks. And uh, I was being interviewed by... Uh, a guy from the BBC radio who flew over from England to Albuquerque. And um, so I'm recuperating, and, and, and he's, you know, real neat guy. Martin Williams, I think was his name. Uh, and, he, you know, the, the typical English accent. And I mean, you know, think about the English. They can tell you to go to hell, and you go, all right. Which way, to the right or to the left? You know, and uh, uh, interesting guy, and it was it was it was a neat interview. And um, so I told him, I said, "Man, I just had a heart attack." No kidding. <laughs> so, but the guy that was the producer on the album, Jerry Desecchi, he had uh, um, produced Larry John Wilson's last album, and Larry John Wilson was an old guy from the 70s. And uh, so Larry John Wilson, uh, Jerry had done Larry John Wilson's album and died after after doing the album. And so uh, uh, I'm, I'm laying there in, in the hospital after the stents put in. And uh, I said, hey, Jerry, you got to quit producing these old guys, man. I just had a heart attack. Oh my God! You're kidding, you know. And I, I, I could just see him, just losing color in his face, you know. And uh, but it, it was, it was, it was funny at the time. Not so much for Larry John Wilson, but it, right, right. you know, yeah, it was. Uh, and I, I think you you mentioned this uh, earlier that uh, he did say you had a few more months at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It's been longer than yeah. that now, though. Well, Larry John Wilson died uh, seven months or eight months after uh, the album came out, yeah. and and in June when I was uh, talking, that's when Highways and Hard Dance came out, yeah. and uh, Jerry said, "Well, uh, you got a few more months before you really need to sweat." So. <laughs> okay. Well, congrats on the record, and um, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for thanks for running through all this with me. Oh, sure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Big thanks again here to Beely and Tompkins Square. You can find his music in all the usual places out there online or order the vinyl or digital versions direct through Tompkins Square via TompkinsSquare.com. That's T-O-M-P-K-I-N-S, TompkinsSquare.com. The shoulders are full, and it starts getting dark. The street lights and the moon... So many prayers, day after day, a little girl just wants a room. 
The homeless ain't just hobos anymore. It's a family on the highway. The car that won't go home. The staggering reality. Those kids ain't got a home. The homeless ain't just hobos anymore. Just hobos anymore